is up, everyone? Welcome to There Can Only Be One, the podcast that puts together the all-star best of of your favorite bands and artists. And I am stoked. This is going to be a fun episode because we're talking about a fun band because we are talking about Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. So when you're trying to think of a guest who can talk about punk music and covers and punk bands doing covers. There may be no better person on the face of our planet, more uniquely qualified to talk about this band than one Mr. Brian Colburn from my weekly mixtape. Brian, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty good, dude. With that introduction, though, I am going to let your listeners down, but I appreciate it. (laughs) We're setting them up for failure early. No, 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 no. There you go. (laughs) Anyone who has listened to your appearances on this show or who has listened to my weekly mixtape, by the way, go listen to my weekly mixtape if you're looking for a fun podcast to listen to, one that you will play along with in the car. So when someone passes by your car and they see you screaming at the radio, you know, calling out song titles, you're probably listening to my weekly mixtape. But I'm going to ask you a question here, Brian. Sure. Because the last time you were on the show, we were going through the studio discography of Metallica. And on that episode, you put it out into the ether that there was one song that you were hoping to see live when you got to go see them in New Jersey at the two-night concert. That concert has passed. So, Brian, did you get your wish? I am going to guess that James, Lars, Rob, and Kirk are all There Can Only Be One listeners because on night two, fourth song before the end of the night, I finally got to see Blackens performed live. And it was glorious <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just gonna ask because uh, you know judging from the pictures that you had put up on twitter uh, sorry x or whatever they're calling it now you you were fairly far away from the stage but i'm curious though when they started playing blackened did you scream loud enough that the band was going to be able to hear you from where you were sitting they actually stopped and said is everyone okay out there we just want to make sure <laughs> no one just died and everyone said yeah and then they went oh okay and they restarted it <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we were we were so high up a helicopter flew overhead and I seriously felt the wind from. I mean, we were we were above the clouds. However, because of the way they set the the sound up in the round, it didn't matter cuz there were just speakers pointed in every single direction, so you got a great mix no matter where you were. And on top of that, the higher you were, the more the light show became all encompassing because you were able to see the light show in its entirety as opposed to being down low and only seeing what's coming at you. You got a nice overhead view of everything that was happening and the screens were so massive. You you know, honestly, if you're in the 100 section or the 300 section on a football field, Metallica is still tiny. So those screens made all the difference and it was an amazing weekend. I think there was something of 30-something songs without a repeat. Obviously, the big hits were played, and that was perfectly fine, but got a lot of deep cuts. And one of those, which is not necessarily a deep cut, but considering this weekend was my ninth and tenth time seeing Metallica, it took 10 concerts for me to see Black and Live. So thank God it finally happened. You weren't kidding with about the the light show and the stage show. Like just taking a look at some of those pictures, like it looks like a massive production. To me, there are three spots to see a live concert from, and it all depends on what kind of show you're at. The three spots are kind of where you were, so you could see the full spectacle of a large production like that. Right up against the rail, right up front, depending on the the size of the venue. And my usual, you know spot where I kind of like you know place my place my anchor there and just kind of stay right in front of the soundboard so long as I can hear perfectly what the sound guy hears um it looks like you got the best spot to see the entire production 
Yeah, I will definitely say that. I mean, look, the people that were in the snake pit, I am sure had a wonderful time. But considering the price of those snake pit tickets, I didn't bat an eye at sitting in the nosebleeds, as we said, with the other peasants up there because everybody was still rocking out as if they were right in front of the band. And it was a great time. Amazing show. They still bring it. And I hope they're doing it for another, you know, 10 years because they were celebrating James' 60th birthday this weekend. And man, you know what? For a 60-year-old, you would not know that Metallica was in their 60s. Oh, damn. He's 60. Yeah, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me. People, like when I remember seeing Metallica in the 90s, I'm, I'm a little younger that I didn't get a chance to see them in the 80s, but... I remember the mosh pits and the insanity that was Metallica concerts. And at least where we were sitting, as people were coming up to the seats, all people were doing was talking about their back pain, their knees bothering them, <laughs> the amount of stairs they had to climb. Like you could tell it was a classic rock show unfolding in, in the Metallica universe. <laughs> that is awesome. Get to the top of the stairs. They give you free oxygen when you get there. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but let's talk about me first and the gimme gimmies. So when we were talking about what uh, what artists to do next and you know we tossed up this band, you pretty much jumped on and said yes, yes, and yes. So what is it? Because I know you love your covers but what is it about me first and the gimme gimmies that got you excited for this one because me first and the gimme gimmies was one of the first bands that i discovered i always loved cover songs always i've i've always been a fan of a band that takes a song that you already are familiar with and puts their stamp on it so if you think back to the 80s when billy idol did money money i knew the original And I heard his version. I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. This is Billy Idol putting his stamp on Tommy James and the Shondells. And then Motley Crue smoking in the boys' room because my parents were huge in a classic rock. I already knew the the original. Poison, Your Mama Don't Dance. I already knew the original. I loved hearing bands that resonated with me playing songs that I was familiar with from other bands. And Me First and the Gimme Gimme's was the first band that took my love of punk and cover songs and did it all the time. There are no Me First and the Gimme Gimme originals. So everything they do is reinterpretations of other songs that 99% of the time you are familiar with. And to me, when I first heard Have a Ball plus Bowling Tips from the Gutter Punks, I instantly fell in love with them. It was summer of 97, and that CD never left my CD player. I still have my original copy. It is absolutely a, I'll say it, a punk masterpiece, even though it is all cover songs. Okay, so listeners, let's get through the rules here, okay? We are about to go through 10, count them, 10 studio albums. Well, let me backtrack on that one there. We're going to go through 10 albums. And we normally have two rules on this show. We don't do compilation albums and we don't do live albums. We're going to break both of those rules today. (laughs) But I think there is no more appropriate band to break those rules with than me first and the Gimme Gimme's. So on our live album rule, we're going to break that in favor of 2004's Ruin Johnny's Bar Mitzvah because the songs that they performed... At that bar mitzvah, and yes, I said at an actual bar mitzvah, they had never released on an album before. So technically speaking, it is actually an album of original releases. As far as the compilation album goes, that's going to be Have Another Ball from 2008, which is a compilation of a lot of their singles and little mini EPs that were kind of out of print. So as a full album, this is the first kind of collection of them, and those songs didn't appear on any of the other studio albums. So we're going to break rules today. And you also have to remember Have a Ball, the original album. While some of the songs were recorded specifically for that, there were a ton of seven inches that they were putting out prior to a full-length album that kind of made Have a Ball, even though it is their first studio album, a partial compilation in and of itself as well. Oh, absolutely. Like, They kind of broke some rules themselves, which I'm kind of all for, and we're going to break rules along with them. But let's start with that album, 1997's Have a Ball. 
released July 29th, 1997. The band is Spike Slauson of Swinging Utters on vocals, Chris Shiflett from No Use for a Name and the Foo Fighters on lead guitar, Fat Mike from No Effects on bass, and Joey Cape on rhythm guitar, and Dave Ron on drums, both from Lagwagon. So this is quintessentially the punk supergroup, if you will. The album is primarily made up of songs from the 60s and 70s. Um, although there is one exception there. There is an 80s song in there. But Brian, have a ball. What do you have? Well, first I want to say this is my favorite Me First and the Gimme Gimme's album. I mean, all of these songs I knew because of my parents. You think about songs like Fire and Rain by James Taylor, Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond, Uptown Girl by Billy Joel, I Am a Rock by Simon and Garfunkel, Rocket Man, Elton John, Me and Julio, Down by the Schoolyard by Paul Simon, Leaving on a Jet Plane from John Denver. I mean, this was basically my parents' record collection punked up for me, for my generation. So this album really resonated with me, but man, I am a sucker for opening tracks, and Me First in the Gimme Gimme's knocked it out of the park and picked the perfect song to open up their punk career and that is their cover of Loggins and Messina's Danny's song absolutely amazing track I love what they brought to this song they made it so much fun you would not know that Danny's song wasn't an original punk song they really put their stamp on it so well that if you heard that song having never heard Loggins and Messina you would be like these guys know how to write a tune because it is just so well done in their style. They made it their own song. And that's what I love about this group. You're absolutely right that this album is so many good songs. Like This is very much a front to back album. Uh, I didn't end up going with Danny's song. And let me explain. This is their first full-length studio album. Even though some of the songs were from you know single releases and all that. My first introduction to me first and the gimme gimme's came from the fat music fat records compilation cds and i remember having the fat music volume three physical fatness uh and which was released in 1997 as well this had their cover of me and julio down by the schoolyard those Mm -hmm. those fat records compilation cds like i don't i don't think people realize unless you were kind of you know of that era and you were into punk music i don't think people realize just how important those cds were to introducing everyone to these bands because especially where you know up in the nation's capital in canada you know we we weren't anywhere near the Fat Records bands. We weren't anywhere near, you know, bands like Me First and the Gimme Gimme's, bands like, you know, No Effects. You know, yes, they were coming up here, but those CDs were kind of the gateway. So when they did get up here, we knew what we were getting into and we were all for it. Me, me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard is one of the best songs on Fat Music for Fat People Volume 3. It's so good and so fun. And it's one of those songs that, in my experience, there's two ways punk bands can approach a cover song. You can take what's there in the song and amplify it and make it that much more fun, which is what a lot of Me First and the Gimme Gimme songs are. Or you can take a song and absolutely destroy it and just turn it into you know, a minute 30 of blistering guitar work. Me First and the Gimme Gimme is such a talented band that they, they, they're in that first category. They're in that take and amplify of the song and it sounds so good i absolutely love it and one thing i want to chime in about those fat record compilations what i loved about those the most was the price point they were usually under five dollars no matter where you went so if you were buying a brand new cd for like 11.99 or 12.99 and you somehow had a 20 dollar bill on you you were able to walk out with two cds that were full length listens which in the time in the 90s That was a win for a music purchaser, a music consumer, so I should rather say. And to me, that I love the fact that I would buy, like, let's say one punk album, and then I would get this other album with all these different bands that I can kind of check out and kind of whet my appetite with for future purchases. So they were genius to do it the way they did. 
Oh, absolutely. And I still have a bunch of those CDs still in my collection. I mean, like, it wasn't just the fat music ones. There was punk chart busters and there were other punk uh, compilations with multiple volumes where it's just like, yes, here's the everything. Discover new bands. That's where, you know, compilation CDs are missed. Absolutely missed. Go out get a compilation CD that you can afford and discover new music because then when those bands come to town they're not playing to nobody they're playing to people who are already familiar with them let's move on now to me first the gimme gimme's are a drag released may 18th 1999 the album is mostly show tunes from stage and screen so brian off of our drag what have you got this was a slight disappointment for me when it first came out because I was expecting more songs that I knew all of them for. Now, anybody that knows my weekly mixtape knows that I am a huge music buff, but when it comes to movies, I am, let's just say, mildly educated in movies. I don't don't know. I am not a movie guy at all. I love movies, but I am the, I've seen the big hits and I'm kind of the greatest hits consumer of movies. Does that make sense? Well, considering that you're in the same boat as me and we both like Caddyshack too, then I, I instantly question your movie taste, but I'm here for it. <laughs> I love it. So there were a lot of songs on this album I had never heard before because I just didn't see the movies like Fame. I didn't know I sing the body electric, but I still enjoyed it. I never saw a chorus line or cabaret. So what I did for love and cabaret, I didn't know. However, I I did see Annie growing up. I love their cover of Tomorrow. I knew the Phantom of the Opera. thought that was great. Obviously, the sound of music. I love the fact that they threw a little bad religion nod into that one, as well as in Tomorrow, they threw a nod to Cheap Trick. I knew the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and that was a huge hit for me. Obviously, as a child, I saw The Wizard of Oz so many times over the rainbow. However, this album has a cover of my favorite song of all time, written by Paul Williams and Kenneth Asher from the original Muppet movie. As originally sung by Kermit the Frog, I went with Rainbow Connection for my pick on this album. It is my favorite song of all time. Yes, I will say I like Kermit's version better because of the connection I have with that song. However, hearing a punk version of my favorite song put a massive smile on my face. And come on, it's the rainbow friggin' connection. I mean, it, it is a perfect, perfect piece of music. And I love what the gimmies bring to it. When you were saying your favorite song of all time, for a second I was like, I don't remember that thing you do being on that CD. <laughs> I will absolutely agree. Rainbow Connection was was my alternative choice. It, it, it was the it came in second, but oh, then tell me why you're wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love theatrics. I love you know you know me. I, I love the you know the bands that bring a lot to you know to the mix. You know bands like With Intimidation all that. And but that also includes good stage production. And I remember going to see Phantom of the Opera uh, at the Pantages Theater here in Toronto on a high school trip. You know I think I was in like grade eleven or something like that. And it was like the coolest thing. And to hear them do Phantom of the Opera. And not just, you know, do it, but enhance it again. And I can't remember the vocalist who they had to come in and and do the duet with them. It's so good. People take a look at punk cover of Andrew Lloyd Webber. And instantly they're going to like, oh, that's going to be so bad. But this was oh, so good. Like, take a band where the musicians are extremely talented. And they're not just, you know, punk rockers who are going to destroy a song. They made this better than the you know the the recording that was released and then they did a music video and it showed up on much music i'm sure it showed on mtv as well like it's that good and the the backup segment that they brought in to join in made it that much better i'm gonna throw one other thing in there because i forgot to mention this at the end of rainbow connection spike slauson even does the yeah like trying to do a kermit scream at the end Come on. Come on. <laughs> now, I get I get it, though. Phantom of the Opera is, it follows it up on the album, and it's a fantastic version. So, no disrespect to it. I was only joking with you before, but um, 
yeah, by all means, uh, I, I could see why anybody who's a theater fanatic would would their version cares for the original. And I think that's where people make make a mistake when they think of punk covers. They think that these songs don't honor the original. And Me First finds a way to make their versions have the punk attitude, but also honor the originals by putting some effort into it. And there's a there's a fine line there because as much as I love the Sex Pistols My Way, the opening of it, they're not really paying homage to Frank when they're singing it all kind of off key and everything else. And that's something where Me First really tries to hone in on. Yeah, and and that's the thing too. It's not just like your typical straight, you know, punk blast beat kind of thing through every song. You know, there is a lot of diversity in the way they approach a lot of these songs. I will say though, this does remind me of a regret because here in Toronto, for a stretch, when Phantom of the Opera was here, the Phantom was being played by Mr. Paul Stanley. And I wish, I wish that I had the wherewithal to go and see that performance at that time because that would have been awesome we now move on to blow in the wind released march 20th 2001 this is another one of those hits of the 60s themed albums and it actually hit number 14 on the u.s independent charts uh i'm gonna jump on this one first if that's okay because one of the things that i love about this album is that me first in the gimme gimme's has this habit of almost riff teasing I don't know if you if you do this at shows when, when you play, but you'll start to riff tease a little bit and then bust into a completely different song. It's almost like Rick rolling somebody. It's like you get them ready for that, and then you're like, nope, not going to do that. We're going to go do this. Their cover of Eleanor on this, and the fact that it starts out with that London calling bass line, <laughs> it's such a good riff tease. I abs- It sold me right away. They do the same thing in San Francisco because they nod to Stranger Than Fiction and Pessimistic Lines by Bad Religion. I mean, my parents, I went to a lot of car shows growing up because my father was a car nut, so he always rebuilt old cars, and we would always go to these classic 60s car shows, 50s, 60s, and they always had doo-wop playing and 50s music and 60s music, so hearing songs like Wild World by Cat Stevens, obviously you mentioned Eleanor, My Boyfriend's Back by The Angels, All My Lovin' by The Beatles, uh, Dusty Springfield's I Only Want to Be With You, Del Shannon's Runaway, all Songs that I resonated with, knew the originals and loved. However, the nod in the song that I chose is to Teenage Lobotomy by the Ramones. And they threw that into one of my favorite songs by the Beach Boys, actually, Sloop John B. It's the second track on the album. This song also appears, which we'll get to in a little bit, on Ruin Johnny's Bar Mitzvah as a bonus track. But I absolutely love their version of this song. Because again, the Beach Boys was all about these vocal harmonies and everything else. And somehow, Me First paid homage to that and still made it work in the punk sense. And I love the nod to Teenage Lobotomy in it. So Sloop John B is my choice off this album. Absolutely great pick. Cannot disagree with that one there. Now, moving on to July 1st, 2003, and the release of Take a Break. The album hit number six on the independent charts and number 131 on the Billboard 200. Um, What have you got off of Take a Break? This one was such a fun album. This could be my probably my number two favorite Me First in the Gimme Gimme's album. I mean, you think about songs like you got Lionel Richie's Hello, You got Ain't No Sunshine. You got their version of Prince or Sinead O'Connor is the one that everyone knows. Nothing Compares to You, Seals Crazy, R. Kelly's I Believe I Could Fly. I mean, this is just riddled with 80s R&B hits, and I love it. However, 80s and 90s R&B hits, I should say, actually. But no song is more fitting than... The perfect end of the night song and their cover of Boys to Men, End of the Road. I have finished many a punk mixtapes with this song, whether they're cover focused or not, because it's just a brilliant nod at the end of the side. And I have tried to convince my band for years. We're acoustic, so it might not work as well, but I would love to do a rendition the way Me First does End of the Road because it's so fun. It's so happy. The breakdown that they do, that kind of pays an homage to Weezer where they have the people kind of talking to each other, kind of mumbling that you can almost make out what they're saying. 
that was just so well done. Again, they did not cut corners making this song. They really put effort into paying homage to the original, and I really appreciate that. So this one is just fantastic. I'm just trying to picture what it would be like if we if we tried to cut you know end a night with a punk version of End of the Road. I wonder how fast we'd be thrown out of the bar. I'm just curious. <laughs> I have I have five words. I believe I can fly. I believe I can Great touch verse. the sky. This song and their version of it. Like, first of all, you know, cue the ukulele. Because that just makes it much more fun. Ukulele, (laughs) and and again, this is one of those things where sometimes a band puts out a cover of a song, a song that you're not necessarily a fan of originally, and they do it in a way that all of a sudden you realize that no, 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 it's just the version of the song that I don't like. It's not the song that I don't like. You know, anyone who's heard uh, the Interrupters version of Bad Guy, of course, is probably going to sit there and say, "Well, yes, the Interrupters." wrote Bad Guy and Billie Eilish covered it. That's the way it should be, right? (laughs) Yes, 100%. I think so, right? Sometimes a cover is superior than the original. And I think in this case, their cover of I Believe I Can Fly surpasses the original in such a way that you realize that a song can have multiple lives dependent on who the performer is. Here, I think Me First and the Gimme Gimme's, they wrote the song. They wrote the song and there are no other versions of this song to me. And again, you pull out, you know, different instrumentation, right? Toss a ukulele into I Believe I Can Fly. Someone's going to sit there and go, yeah, that's not going to work. Guess what? It worked. It worked well. Completely, absolutely, 100% agree. You had me at ukulele. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, let's break rule number one here. We're going to do a live album. That is Ruin Johnny's Bar Mitzvah, released October 19th, 2004, recorded had an actual bar mitzvah October 25th, 2003. The album hit number 17 on the independent charts, 13 on the Heat Seekers charts, and number 197 on the Billboard 200. Now, whenever a band is contracted to to play a private party, you have to think that they're coming in with the hits and the songs that the, the, the people who pay for you to play there want to hear. They come in, and they do songs that they have never recorded before. It's just so much fun when you have... I would love to... I know there's video out there of this show somewhere. I would love to see the reactions of people watching this performance going, what the hell are they doing? And I have to assume the impetus behind this album is the fact that this is the first collection of songs that isn't themed. And I think they found a loophole and a way to get around it. Because when you're going from Stairway to Heaven to Heart of Glass, you're already, yeah, you're in the same decade, but you're really kind of all over the map musically. So I get it. And I love the fact that after the Christmas version of Hava Nagila, there's just 10 minutes of people just talking and eating. And <laughs> it was so, it was, so, it was so brilliant to do that at the end, like such a troll on the listeners and such, so tongue in cheek. I absolutely love this album. What I consider, I mean, look, it's not, it doesn't sound like a typical live album. There's no like rousing at the end of every song. So it almost feels like a studio album in that sense. I, I've played shows where there's no reaction. So I kind of felt some of those moments in, in the uh, in, in the show, in the CD. But off of this album, off this live album, which one did you go with? Oh, God, there are so many great ones on here. Obviously, when you open things up with Stairway to Heaven, I mean, just there alone, that one is one where you're thinking, oh, my God, they're really uh, pushing some limits here. And they did, because that's not a song you would ever expect a, a punk version of. But they pull it off. Heart of Glass, amazing. Delta Dawn, amazing. Come Sail Away, amazing. However, I was first introduced to me first in the Gimme Gimmies through their cover of a Billy Joel song, Only the Good Die Young. And that was on one of those fat record comps. And Me First in the Gimme Gimme's knows how to cover a Billy Joel song. Because if you go all the way back to Have a Ball, they do the brilliant cover of Uptown Girl. And on Ruin Johnny's Bar Mitzvah, 
They take a song that is originally a cappella and makes it punk rock awesomeness, and that is their version of The Longest Time, which contains a little nod to Suspect Device by Stiff Little Fingers. Again, brilliant. Love it. Me First and the Gimme Gimme's are obviously Billy Joel fans, and they show it on this one. I love the harmonies in it. It feels the most alive on this album. It seems like the song that, when I listened to this album, they were most excited to play. I, I, I can, I can get that. I would have loved to have heard them do a cover of Billy Joel's "Pressure." I think that would have. Oh been, my god! Yeah, right. <laughs> oh man, oh man, that that would be someone make that happen. Please just make that happen. Um, I ended up going with "Take It on the Run." This nice. is one of those songs where I'm listening to it, and there were some of the some of the ones on the CD where I'm like, I wish there was a studio version of this song. The recording is good. Don't get me wrong. It's mixed very well. Um, and the fact that there isn't really a lot of crowd noise to have to filter out, well, that kind of helps in the, in the post-production process. But Take It on the Run, such a good song to begin with. And then they take it, put it out there. I wish there was a studio recording, but... I will accept whatever we can get from me first in the Gimme Gimme. So I ended up going with Take It on the Run. Before we go down the rest of this road, I want to give you the mic for a second, Brian, and let us know a little bit about my weekly mixtape. Sure thing. My weekly mixtape is a show that takes, as I say on every episode, the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. The show is centered around each week. When I was growing up, I would always create mixtapes for any occasion. If I was literally going to the food store with my mom, I'd have a mixtape in my Walkman of songs to walk around the food store to while I had my headphones on. So I took that concept, and when I was younger and hanging out with my friends, we would always make mixtapes together. They would, he, My buddy would bring over his cassettes, I would take mine, and we would each choose songs from each other's collections to kind of build up these mixtapes. And I took those times that I did with my buddies growing up and transformed it into a show now where I bring on my buddies now and do the same thing. Now, my buddies would be fellow podcasters, actual people I grew up with, or the musicians themselves. So not actual buddies, but you get what I'm saying. And build mixtapes using that back and forth approach where you're having a conversation through the songs you pick based on a topic. And that's what I try to bring out in every episode of my weekly mixtape is a conversation surrounded around the what ifs. Why are you choosing the song you you did and how does it fit into this category? Having listened to multiple episodes, I can safely say that no matter who the guest is, you are going to find yourself playing along. But I do, I will say, uh, listening to some of the episodes that you have done with some of the musicians themselves, uh, specifically the Art Alex Akis one from Everclear, um, you actually are able to pull out a lot of great storytelling from the musicians themselves. So if you're looking for a good music deep dive podcast, go listen to my weekly mixtape wherever you're getting your podcasts. We now move on to Love Their Country, released October 17th, 2006. As you can tell by the title, it's a country and Western-themed album. Uh, hit number 12 on the independent charts, number four on the Heat Seekers charts, and number 169 on the Billboard 200. I will say that when it comes to albums like this, Me First and the Gimme Gimme's Walked, so compilations like Punk Goes Pop and Punk Goes Country could run. Completely agree. This album means a lot to me as well. Because my first stint in radio, my first college radio program, was a country show called The Outhouse on 90.3 WMSC, Montclair State University Radio, and I played nothing but country music because when I tried to get a show on the station, I kept pitching rock shows and they said, well, you know, we've got this, we've got that, we've already got rock shows. And I said, well, what don't you have? And they said, well, we don't have any country shows and we've wanted one for a while. So because I had lived in North Carolina for a few years, I called my friends and begrudgingly said, all right, I want to get on the air. Send me everything you can. What do I need to go buy? Who do I look up for real country music? And I started my career in radio with a country music show. So this album really spoke to me. And a lot of the songs on here were songs I would play on my country radio show. So this one really, this album from a punk standpoint, put a smile on my face when I first heard they were doing country songs. 
So what song off of Love Their Country did you go with? This was tough. I mean, Eastbound and Down, you think of Smokey and the Band. It's such an amazing song. Jolene by Dolly Parton. On the Road Again with a nod to the Misfits. Come on. Ghost Riders in the Sky. Much too young to feel this damn old. I mean, I'm in my mid-40s. That song resonates now more than it ever did when it first came out. But for me, I have to go with their rendition of Goodbye Earl by the Dixie Chicks. I love this version so much. One of my old cover bands did this exact version. And let me tell you, the look on people's faces when a group of guys start rocking out to the Dixie Chicks. The guys at the time when we played this in a bar did not know what to do with themselves. But every woman in the bar was singing along at the top of their lungs. And either the guys would give in and admit they actually like a Dixie Chick song, which I don't know why they wouldn't, because the original of this is absolutely friggin' fantastic. But once they saw we were doing it in punk form, people were up and dancing and having a good time and partying out to it. And I love what they bring to it. So I'm going with their version of Goodbye Earl. I don't think you have to be a country fan to appreciate, you know, what the chicks, you know, bring to the table here. Uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you know, A, go listen to the music, but B, go watch the documentary Shut Up and Sing. It mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. one of the best music documentaries I have ever seen. Like, it's hard to think of a music documentary that tops that one maybe anvil the story of anvil but uh, that was going to be my pick anvils was a it's just a another world but i i agree those two are both amazing oh yeah uh it's hard to beat jolene on this album because jolene is a, a great song to begin with but their cover is phenomenal but for the first time on this show we have a match i ended up going with goodbye earl i nice. will say i will say you know i don't have really much of any country on my personal spotify liked songs there's one that's sorry that's not in my current set list as as a cover band artist the exception is a song from the dixie chicks it's not this song it's uh not ready to make nice but i will say goodbye earl such a good song both versions Completely agree. And and just the whole thing on the, I'm calling it the Dixie Chicks because when the album came out, they were known as that. They're called the Chicks now. The last thing I want to do is offend anybody if they're offended by the band name. So just throwing that out in the universe. They were called that when this album came out. And that's just what is embedded in my brain from two decades of being one of my wife's favorite bands. Hey, to, in my world, the Blue Jays still play at the Sky Dome. So that's okay. <laughs> that is okay. <laughs> Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. We're now going to break rule number two with Have Another Ball, released July 8th, 2008. This is a compilation of their out-of-print singles and releases there. Uh, Hit number 26 on the independent charts, number 11 on the Heat Seekers charts, and number 163 on the Billboard 200. So I mentioned Fat Music Volume 3 when we were talking about me and Julio down by the schoolyard and Have a Ball. Now I have to go to... Fat Music for Fat People, Volume 2, Survival of the Fattest, because on that compilation CD, which came out the year before, 1996, you've got their cover of Country Roads. And as soon as I saw that song on this album, I'm like, this is a no-brainer, because that song, first of all, that album, like, it's a toss-up for me between the first three Fat Music for Fat People compilation cds of which of which one is the best one there are so many good songs on this 
compilation CD. Like, just looking at the track listing, aside from this one, you've got Nick Northern from Snuff. You've got Justified Black Eye from No Use for a Name. Like, it's a killer compilation CD. And, you know, speaking of punk covers, you've also got High Standards cover of California Dreaming on that CD. Those CDs were everything in the late 90s. So this song on this CD was an instant pick for me. But what did you go with off of Have Another Ball? I went with one that I talked about earlier on this show. I discovered it through a compilation CD. And that compilation CD, I actually am wrong. It was not released by Fat Wreck. It was released by Epitaph. And it is Punk-O-Rama Volume 2. And that album is absolutely incredible. Had the Descendants Coffee Mug, Pulleys Cashed In, Rancid Sidekick, Bad Religions Give You Nothing, and Me First and the Gimme Games. Did I mention before that they do a mean Billy Joel cover? Well, yes, I am going back to the Billy Joel well for a second time tonight because their version of Only the Good Die Young reigns supreme on this album for me. It was really hard to determine which ones were the better compilation series, the Fat Music for Fat People compilations or the Punkorama ones. Because, I again, I still have the CDs that I bought in my collection because I don't get rid of anything. Um, but it was that was that was the time, right? Those compilation CDs were the everything in those late 90s. And if you wanted the best of punk music all in one stop, you didn't have to look far. And what I loved about it was... Sometimes, in some instances, the only way to get these songs were on the Punkarama or the Fat Record comps. They were either only put out on 7-inch or recorded exclusively for. So you sometimes would get songs from bands that you the only place you could find it was these comps. And that made them extra special at the time on top of just a great way to kind of check out a bunch of awesome punk bands. It is a shame that you buy a new car these days. And there's no CD players in the cars. Like, we're missing out. We're absolutely missing out on those compilation physical media CDs. Amen. I still have one in my car, and I got my our uh, I got our SUV in 2019. And when I went to buy it, I explained to them that I was very interested in having a CD player in it. And he goes, "Well, the only." model we have with a CD player is the the cheap base model. I said, well, guess what you just did? You just sold me a cheap base model because I want the damn CD player in the car. There is an aux input on a lot of those cars. And I'm not going to lie, I am tempted some days to take my classic yellow Sony Walkman with the reverse <laughs> button. It's the good Walkman. It's got the reverse button there, the reverse play. Pop some batteries in plug it into the into the aux input and just pull out some of those cassettes cuz again still have those cassettes awesome however the one thing i do not miss in the 90s was trying to play cd's on a discman no matter how many pillows you put on the passenger seat and you put the discman on top of it it didn't work my buddy had this spring-made device that he put on his dashboard and kind of like glued it to his dashboard and put the CD player on it so it had this like bounce so that way it would try not to skip the CDs and let me tell you you went over a pebble and the CD just stopped playing so I don't miss that part of CDs it has to be in the actual car CD player I will say and I recognize that things that happen in movies are fictional They're not supposed to necessarily be based in reality. But the most unrealistic thing that ever happened in Wayne's world was when they put the Queen CD in the Discman and it didn't skip while they were driving. Amen. That would have made the skit even better if they added that to that scene. Oh, dear God. Okay, so let's move on to the first of their two world EPs. We start with Go Down Under, released February 1st, 2011. Obviously, they're talking about Australian bands on this one. Um, What did you go with? Well, you only had a couple choices here. You got five songs. You got Olivia Newton-John, Rick Springfield, Air Supply, The Easy Beats. But come on, if you're going to take a song as majestic and amazing as what I feel is In Excess's best song, Never Tear Us Apart, and turn it into a, a punk song, This is the way to do it. I absolutely adore this version. Again, 
It's paying homage to the original. He tries to hit the, some of us don't know what, but he doesn't quite nail it, but it's done with that punk flavor that he does, if that makes sense. And I absolutely love the intensity they brought to that version. We match up again. I definitely went with Never Tear Us Apart. There's something about this song. You know, there's certain parts of songs where they're iconic. The part of the song is like more iconic than the song as a whole itself. You know, you think back to In the Air Tonight from Phil Collins, that drum fill is the song. The rest of the song is mm-hmm. just filler to that drum fill. For Never Tear Us Apart, it's that dun 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 You know the rest of the song the minute you hear that part. Here, it's almost like a different beat to the to those punches, but it brings a different energy, and I still think it works in the same context of the song. I couldn't agree more. We've been covering this song for about a decade now. I love singing it. And let me just be honest with everybody. I know I cannot pull off Michael Hutchins, but I do it from a place of love and I try my damnedest. His original is untouchable as far as I'm concerned, but I love paying respect to it. And I love what Me First and the Gimme Gimme's did with their version. We now go to the second world EP, Sing in Japanese. And the title isn't just, you know, kitschy. It's it's they actually sing in Japanese. Released September 13th, 2011. Now, here's a I, I know you are a world music connoisseur, but I know when I went into this CD, I'm like, I apps I know none of these songs. It, this is complete fresh material for me. I, I'm gonna be surprised if you knew any of these going in. Oh god, no. I didn't know a single song on it. Honestly, this was the farthest me first release ever for me because I didn't know any of the songs and you could have fooled me into thinking they had finally decided to put out an original album because I had no clue. Like I said, I might not have known many movies in uh, our drag, but I knew some of them. I didn't know any of the originals. However, they made songs that I didn't know likable punk songs, so I still enjoy listening to this album. So of the songs you have no experience with in a language that you do not speak... What did you go with? Well, I am going to apologize in advance if I butcher this name, both the name of the song and the artist. I apologize, but I'm going to go with Kekon Shiyoyo by Takuro Yoshida, simply because of the amazing interpolation of Social Distortion's Story of My Life. I knew that, and that one made this one rise to the top for me. It's like, oh, there's familiar ground. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I actually ended up going with, from originally from Tulip, Kokoru Notabi. Uh, again, apologize if I just messed up Japanese. We'll just pretend I Google translated everything here. This song <laughs> is such a bop. Like, I know, you know, obviously they're a punk band. A lot of, you know, most of the songs have that punk. This song's a bop. I have no idea what they're singing. I'd be afraid to Google Translate to find out what I'm singing, but I really enjoyed this song. It's great. I could not tell you what they did versus the original because I was not familiar with it, but I love what they do on that one. So now they need to play another bar mitzvah where all they do is play songs in Japanese. (laughs) We get to the end of our journey here with May 13th, 2014 and the release of Are We Not Men, We Are Diva. Of course, it's a diva-themed album, and of course, the title is a play on Are We Not Men, We Are Devo. The album hit number 102 on the Billboard 200, their highest charting album on that chart. So off of their final studio release, what did you go with? This one is another fantastic album. I hope it's not their swan song. We're approaching nine years right now since they've put out an album. I really hope they, they do some more. However... One song on this album upset me a little bit because my punk band in the early 2000s, so 2003, 2004, had already done a punk cover of Straight Up by Paula Abdul. Only we did it with a ska-type second-wave ska verse and then a balls-to-the-wall, 100 miles an hour chorus. And when I heard their version, I'm like, ah, it's different than ours, but... I had a little bit of a beef with that one because I'm like, wait a minute, we punk covered a song before me first. And, you know, I got no one knew who we were. No one knows who we are. I'm not even saying the band name for that reason, because 
you can't even find anything on the internet about us. We just played local shows. However, in my heart of hearts, I want to believe that maybe one of the guys from the band saw it and said, oh, what a great idea. Let's do it. Anyway, I that one did not make my list, but I ended up going with, I had a really, really tough decision between two. The one I didn't go with was I Will Always Love You by Dolly Parton or by Whitney Houston, depending on which version you want to think they're covering. Love that. Love the fact that they they use the harmonies in it. Obviously, they're not hitting the Whitney Houston-like vocals, but the energy is there. But I ended up going with their cover of Believe by Cher. Because of the tongue-in-cheek nature of the, the original, where autotune was brought to the spotlight, I love the fact that they had the brass to put autotune on Spikes Lawson's vocals and actually have it auto-tuned in certain parts of the song to, like, nod to the original, that is showing respect, like we've talked about tonight. Because if they did it just with raw vocals, you're kind of stripping away that piece of the song that makes it so distinct. So by throwing it in there, it shows that they were paying attention to the little details. And I absolutely love that about this version. Oh, I I chuckled as soon as I heard the auto-tune. And it is. It's one of those things where, with the original... The auto-tune is the song. The rest of the song is just like the the, the filler, if you will. Um, I almost went with that. It was very close. But then they covered Karma Chameleon. Uh-huh. And again, it's one of those songs where, you know, you take what's there. And it's a good song to begin with. You take what's there and you enhance. And love, love, love their version of the song. This is kind of one of those versions of songs I could actually see us getting away with at a bar gig. Like there's some of the versions that I'm like, we could, A, we would never play that song at a bar gig to begin with. B, we couldn't play that version of a song or that song at a bar gig and get away with it. Here, I think you could actually take this version of Carmen Chameleon, play it in any venue whatsoever, and people would bop to it. Agreed. Agreed. It, it is really well done. I have played in cover bands that have incorporated some punk covers throughout the set. They cannot be 110 miles an hour. They have to be about 85 miles an hour, if that makes sense on a musical level. I'm, I'm now curious because, of course, we both play in cover bands. You know, we've been playing in bands for years. So I'm going to ask you, what is the most out there cover you have ever done like like taking a song rearranged it and put it out into the world as a, almost a new song i did an acoustic version of slam by onyx before i'm trying to picture how that would actually go i just kind of chugged on an e to an a chord progression and kind of sang the vocals to see when people picked up on what i was doing and then i transitioned into something else i'm fascinated to hear that you tell me there's 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 copy out there of that version i will have to look i did that back in 2008 i might have a soundboard of it somewhere that's awesome you have to let me know <laughs> if that exists i need to, i need to hear that now but now it has come time the really tough part so brian if there can only be one me first in the gimme gimme song based from the list that you have just made go through the list and then let us know which song stands up above the rest all right, from 1997's Have a Ball, I went with their cover of Loggins and Messina's Danny song. From 1999's Are a Drag, I went with their cover of Kermit the Frog and Paul Williams' Rainbow Connection. From 2001's Blow in the Wind, I went with their cover of the Beach Boys' Sloop John B. From 2003's Take a Break, I went with their cover of End of the Road by Boys to Men. From 2004's Ruin Johnny's Bar Mitzvah, I went with their cover of Billy Joel's The Longest Time. From 2006's Love Their Country, I went with their cover of the Dixie Chicks' Goodbye Earl. From 2008's Have Another Ball, I went with their cover of Billy Joel's Only the Good Die Young. Did I mention on this episode that they do a great version of a Billy Joel song? From <laughs> 2011's Go Down Under, I went with their cover of In Excess's Never Tear Us Apart. From 2011's Sing in Japanese, I went with their cover of Takuro Yoshida's Kekon Shiyoyo, again, I apologize if I butchered that pronunciation. And from 2004's Are We Not Men, We Are Diva, I went with their cover of Shares Believe. Now, I have talked about Me First in the Gimme Gimme's before on my weekly mixtape. And I'm a sucker for opening songs. And Danny's song is my favorite song on Have a Ball. But then I thought to myself, well, 
You think about closing songs, end of the night, end of the playlist, which one reigns supreme, boys to men, end of the road could be a pick. However, in this list is my favorite song of all time, and that has to reign true from 1999's Are a Drag. I am going with their cover of Kermit the Frog's Rainbow Connection. Yeah. Still waiting for uh, for uh, that thing you do. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So from Have a Ball, I went with Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard. From Our Drag, I went with Phantom of the Opera. From 2001's Blow in the Wind, I went with Eleanor. Off of Take a Break, I went with I Believe I Can Fly. Off of Ruin <laughs> Johnny's Bar Mitzvah, I went with Take It on the Run. From Love Their Country, I picked Goodbye Earl. Off of Have Another Ball, I went with Country Roads. Off of Go Down Under, I went with Never Terrace Apart. Off of Singing Japanese, I went with Kokoro no Tabi. And Are We Not Men, We Are Diva, I picked Karma Chameleon. But if there can only be one, and this is tough. This is tough. But I have to go with Strongest First Impressions. And I have to go with Mean Julio down by the schoolyard off of have a ball and of course off of the fat music volume three physical fatness compilation cd brian thank you so much for coming back on the show talking some punk covers so before we go please let us know where our listeners can find you on the internet and where they can find my weekly mixtape sure thing first and foremost the easiest place to find the show is myweeklymixtape.com and you can also find it on any podcast provider by searching the words My Weekly Mixtape. The show will pop up. It's called My Weekly Mixtape, a playlist curation podcast. And you can also find me on all the social media haunts at My Weekly Mixtape. I stopped saying them by name because they're changing their names and they're, some are dropping out of favor and they're just changing so fast. If there's a social media site, there's a good chance I'm there at My Weekly Mixtape. And if not, you can always reach out to me at myweeklymixtape at gmail.com. I welcome any episode suggestions for future shows. I'm always all ears. I want to make it as much of a conversation with anyone that chooses to listen as I do with the person who's sitting across from me on the microphone. And then most importantly, I want to thank you for letting me be a part of There Can Only Be One. I absolutely love what you're doing here on the show. I love this format. I've, I think I've already booked like my next six appearances with that. I always just say to you, oh, dude, if there's nobody talking about this band, I want in. So I apologize for that. But yeah, looking forward to more collaborations, Jason. Hey, don't apologize for coming on the show. It is always a pleasure to have you on there. Uh, just jump in the pit, elbows out, and just demand which bands you're going to cover. Just just go with it like that. <laughs> I think uh, the next one was uh, Counting Crows, right? I, I was throwing my hands up for that one. Oh, you didn't even have to fight anyone. I just literally said Counting Crows exists and Brian exists, so the two of them have to go together in this episode. So that is definitely going to happen here. Brian, you know, the door is always open. The mic, the, the seat is always warm for you as well. So anytime you want to put, cover any band whatsoever, the mic is yours. And to you, our listeners, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of There Can Only Be One. Now, if you want to reach out to us, you can find us on X, I guess, at Only One Cast and on other social media platforms at Not That Bad Cast. And you can also go to our website at notthatbadcast.com. And while you're there, if you're listening to this episode from the website, scroll down the page and you're going to find the playlist that both Brian and I put together of Me First and the Gimme Gimme so you can hear the songs that we're talking about and scroll down a little bit further and you're going to find the comment section. We want to know what songs you would have picked from Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Until next time, Brian, thank you so much. Listeners, you guys freaking rock. This is There Can Only Be One. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.